I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. A whole new world. It's high noon for Friday, July 16th, 2021. Follow the podcast on the Telegram Messenger app at t.me slash I'm your moderator or join the discussion thread at t.me slash I'm reasonable. You can also find me on Gab and Getter. At I'm your moderator and the merch site is www.cancelcotour.com. Today is the 177th day of Barack Obama's third term as served by the half dead, demented, degenerate, ventriloquist, dummy, fake proxy president Joe Biden, who is overwhelmingly compromised by the Chinese Communist Party, the patriarch of one of the most corrupt families in American history and the father of one of the most despicable sons to ever walk the earth that's Hunter Biden. So congratulations, commies. You assembled all the possible tools and methods you could to convince everyone that you were smart and moral and righteous and peaceful. And that didn't work. So now you've just come right out with it and admitted that you are, in fact, just a hate movement. And I really actually do congratulate you commies for the honesty. Now, if you don't want to be a part of a hate movement and you're waking up daily now and saying, oh, hey, I think this has uh, all gone a little too far. Uh, I just didn't want to read the mean tweets anymore. I didn't mean to accidentally join a hate movement. Wonderful. Come on back to America. Make yourself a redeemable communist. And with that, I would love to extend a warm Friday high noon welcome to all the redeemable communists out there. Hello, commies. I'm so glad you're here. Don't know how you got here. Maybe you were using a non-Google search engine and looking up how to get out of the Democrat Communist Party hate movement. And a link to be reasonable came up. That would be awesome. But if that wasn't it, and you have no idea why you're hearing this now, and you're like, hey, who's this guy? And why is he saying things that make me feel so attacked about my very deeply held beliefs? Well, Kami, the thing is, you don't have any deeply held beliefs. I'm not insulting you. It's okay. You just don't have any deeply held beliefs. Because you can't explain the content of the beliefs. And I think that you're probably realizing that. And gaining that understanding is actually really valuable. Because that answers the question, hey, how did I inadvertently join a hate movement? Right? It's because you don't have any deeply held beliefs. Your only deeply held anything is the desire to seek approval from the people in this world you wish to impress and hopefully improve your position in life by virtue of having impressed them. And that's what it means to be a member of the party of false decorum. The good news is you can just let go of all those not very deeply held beliefs. Understand there's no substance to them. You can't explain them. You can't argue for them and you can't justify them. You can only call other people racist and hateful. And the hate wells up inside you. That's why you have to attack people by their identity characteristics or their gender or religion. You're pretending it's everyone else doing that. It's not. Everyone else doesn't even care to divide people on those variables. That's you doing that, Kami. That's what you got to understand. And the proof that the Democrat Communist Party is indeed a hate movement could not be more obvious and on display than it is in California right now. 
And you're thinking, what could he possibly mean? California is a place of peace and love. It's all sunshine and summer dresses and little flowers that people wear right behind their ear. It's all beaches and surfing. It's all Teslas and progressive politics. It couldn't possibly be a hateful place. Oh, see, that's where you're wrong, Kami. The major cities in California are basically the North Korea of the Western Hemisphere. You think I'm wrong? I'm not wrong. Try living there. California yesterday, or I should say Los Angeles specifically, has reinstituted their mask policy indoors, even if you're vaccinated. They are apparently just happy to admit that your vaccine doesn't do anything and that you are not protected from the very bad no-no people, even if you're vaccinated. They're also trying to convince you that masks actually work and actually do something. And of course, what they're gearing up for is another series of lockdowns because understand the truth, guys. They never wanted to let up on the lockdowns in the first place. Trump did that. We would still be locked down if he hadn't forced the pharma company's hand with the vaccines. Now, I don't like the vaccine. You don't like the vaccine. None of us scream for vaccines. (laughs) But the vaccine being released does, in fact, serve a purpose. And that purpose is allowing some people to feel safe enough to open up the economy. We would not be here where we are, still surviving as a society, had Trump not done that. And if that explanation does not suffice for you, I totally get it, okay? Totally get it. And I don't want to fight with you, and I don't want to convince you. It's all good to think that. It's not a perfect answer by any stretch. Because the vaccine is still obviously doing so much damage. And the narrative behind the vaccine and the rollout is a societal cost that is going to take years or maybe even generations to repair. I totally understand that. But we also genuinely are at war. Okay? We are at war against the rise of global communism and the takeover of our society by the global communists, by the Chinese Communist Party, and by the traitors in our midst, okay? That is a whole lot of power that needs to be beaten back, and it doesn't come without a cost. And again, I know that that is not sufficient for a lot of people. I have family members and people who I care about that got the vaccine. Okay, so I'm as upset about this as any of the rest of you. All right. I'm trying to understand it within a context of how we can move forward. And there are people out there that have talked about uh, supplements and remedies that can reduce the effects of the spike protein that the vaccine introduces into people's bodies. And I hope that those people are right. Okay, that's I'm with you about all of that stuff. But if that hadn't happened, if the vaccine hadn't come out, we would still be in the stage we were in last year. All right. There was no way that they were going to let Trump win. That is obvious. You don't steal 20 million votes or maybe more. If you're planning on letting the other guy win, there was no chance they were ever going to let him win. All right. They went above and beyond their wildest cheating plans to get the result they got. And they did that, of course, through cheating. Could they have let it be that they would be roughly tied like 75 million to 75 million and Joe just wins those swing states? No. Because then they don't have the narrative that they won the popular vote and that Joe won in this massive landslide and that the country really wants Joe and the Democrat communists to rule. 
No one would have accepted that, especially not the commies. They want to know that they are on the right side of history all the time. They have to believe that their position is the majority position because otherwise they're scared of how immoral their position is and they're scared of it being exposed. They have to believe that they are on the winning team all the time. That's why they did the Russian collusion bullshit hoax, the Ukrainian impeachment scam, all of the investigations, all of that was to delegitimize Donald Trump so that all those commies could still believe that they have the upper hand, they have the majority, they have the moral truth on their side. And they don't. So California has reinstituted this mask policy in Los Angeles. And the governor can't do it anymore because they knocked down his orders. So this is an order from the public health officer. That's what it is. The health officer order. They've I've even seen it. The acronym HOO. And so an unelected health officer named Muntu Davis. Has just given out this order that is now looked at as law and will likely be enforced as law, even while Eric Garcetti was out last night posing for selfies with no mask, because, of course, he's the mayor. Now, let's check out Moon to Davis a bit, because this man was sworn in at the end of July in 2018 and was sworn in by Barbara Ferrer. And if you remember Barbara Ferrer from last summer, this is the uh, woman who looks like she's on the verge of dying all the time and was also the person who was recorded on a leaked phone call saying that she didn't think that schools would be opened until after the election. She was making determinations about when L.A. school systems and school districts could be reopened based on political concerns and trying to tell the public that it was all about public health. And she has her master's in social work or her doctor's in social work, but she's not an actual doctor. And this is from uh, physiciansnetwork.com. This is in 2018. Dr. Davis received his medical degree from UCLA. He completed the California Endowment Scholars in Health Policy Fellowship and received his master of public health degree from Harvard School of Public Health in Boston. This is what Barbara Ferrer had to say about him at the swearing in. Okay. And down here, she's a PhD and a uh, master's in public health. As we strive to develop and ensure our capacity to promote health equity and justice in Los Angeles County, I feel very fortunate to have Dr. Davis's leadership to help advance our collective work with our colleagues at the Department of Health Services and the Department of Mental Health to implement our new health priorities. He's a unique addition and support for our collaborations with county residents and community community organizations. Got that? He is a noted national advocate on elevating and implementing health equity framework within government agencies, health equity. Okay. That's the focus of this man. That's what his job is. Health equity is just obviously communist. Equity is what they call it. So now we know who this Muntu Davis guy is, but let's see about this order and what he says. Okay. He says that, and this is from uh, CBS Local in Los Angeles. According to Davis, as of June 11th, 10,712,037 vaccine doses have been administered in Los Angeles County and 5,067,109 LA County residents have been fully vaccinated. Okay. Now, according to Los Angeles population statistics, there are 9,969,510 residents of Los Angeles, okay? So we have roughly 5 million fully vaccinated and 10 million total residents. 
That is virtually the same statistics that we have nationwide. Remember that we have not gotten to the point where we are vaccinating children or really anyone under 18, except in communist strongholds like Los Angeles, I'm sure. But by their own numbers, we have half of the overall population there, which means that it's certainly over half of the adults who've been fully vaccinated. And then we have all the cases and the people that we would expect to have COVID immunity due to antibodies, right? This is roughly the same statistical level of vaccination throughout the country. LA is not in some dramatically low rate position on vaccinations. Davis said that given the rising spread of the virus, quote, waiting to do something would be too late. Too late for what? Too late to implement mitigation strategies that are scientifically proven not to work? We have the data on masks. There is no support for mask mandates working or for masking working. Neither of those things are effective prevention strategies for COVID-19. What they're doing is driving a narrative, okay? And the way they're driving that narrative is by saying that the cases have gone up to a level that is so dangerous that now we need to mitigate. They've gone up to a level that is a tiny fraction of what they were recording last year, all right? And the claim here is that 99% of the cases of coronavirus in Los Angeles County are from the unvaccinated. And so now we all have to mask up. We all have to go back to wearing masks because the unvaccinated people are not holding up their end of the bargain. Hey, commies, there's no bargain. Okay? I am not required to play by your rules because your rules are not legally set into place. No one voted for them. There is no public support for what you're doing. And there's absolutely no data, no evidence, no science behind what you're doing. I am not required to put a mask on so that we can all pretend to be saving Someone else's grandmother. This is child-brained communist nonsense, and everybody knows it, including all the child-brained communists. If they still think masks work, that's just fine. They can mask up. If they want to be vaccinated to protect themselves, that's fine. Go get vaccinated. Stop pretending that this is someone else's fault. It is your fault for always complying with the orders you are given by unelected communists like Muntu Davis. That is your fault, commie. Okay? Now, let's get down to the base of this claim and see exactly how this hate movement operates. Because this is a hate movement. What they are trying to do is divide the vaccinated from the unvaccinated so that they can shame and punish the unvaccinated for not making the same stupid choice the commies made. But I also want to be clear about what it is they're saying and the statistics that they are referring to to make these statements. Okay, they're saying 99 percent of the new cases are from the unvaccinated. All right. Let's recall in May, the CDC updated their recommendations on how they were going to track and do surveillance on what they call breakthrough cases, right? Breakthrough cases are people who have been vaccinated but still come down with COVID. Those are happening all over the world. And we know in other countries, they are having greater death numbers from the vaccinated than the unvaccinated, and they're seeing more cases from the vaccinated than the unvaccinated. Now, why isn't that showing up in California? That's the question, right? If it's somehow 99% are unvaccinated, 
How does that happen? Well, here's how it happens. The CDC updated their standards for reporting. And of course, California is going to do everything they can to achieve their desired goal, including messing with the statistics. So this is from the CDC directly. You can find it there right now. As of May 1st, 2021, CDC transitioned from monitoring all reported vaccine breakthrough cases to focus on identifying and investigating only hospitalized or fatal cases due to any cause. This shift will help maximize the quality of the data collected on cases of greatest clinical and public health importance. Previous data on all vaccine breakthrough cases reported to CDC from January to April 2021 are available, and they have a link there on the site. Now, let's break this down. The CDC says that their shift in policy will help maximize the quality of the data collected on cases of greatest clinical and public health importance. And that is a subjective standard. And the standard being applied here is that they don't want to record cases for vaccinated people. So they're not focused on testing the vaccinated for COVID. And they're not focused on recording and reporting those cases. So, of course, if this is the standard, you're not going to see vaccinated cases, right? We also know that they dropped the cycle threshold for vaccinated people. They do not run the tests the same on the vaccinated as they do on the unvaccinated. On the unvaccinated, they still use the unreasonable cycle thresholds above 35 cycles. We know that over 30 cycles, the PCR test returns up to 97% false positives. Okay? It is very, very easy for them to get cases for the unvaccinated by still using that standard and still doing testing on the unvaccinated, no matter what they go to the doctor for or what they end up hospitalized with. You could go in with a broken leg and no other problem. If they give you a COVID test and you're unvaccinated and they run it at 35 to 40 cycles as a cycle threshold, then they're going to get a whole lot of false positive cases of coronavirus in the unvaccinated. And those tests are going to pick up a lot of material, viral material that is dead and can't be transmitted to anyone else and is obviously not causing that person any harm. So the very simple answer on how 99% of the new COVID cases could be from the unvaccinated, even though that is not reflective of what the world is experiencing at all, is that they're simply not testing or recording cases from the vaccinated. That's pretty simple to understand. So right there, we know from the CDC's own guidelines that California has the ability to completely falsify the data that's coming out. OK, it doesn't make any sense the way they're doing it. So, of course, they're going to get results that make no sense. Now, most people, commies, will be like, wait a second, I got to look that up. And they will. And there are actual fact checks on this, of course, from back in May when the CDC changed their standards. There's a very interesting one from PolitiFact, and I've posted all this stuff in the info stream today. If you want to go look at it more deeply, it's t.me slash I'm your moderator on Telegram. Okay, so PolitiFact posts a fact check where they're saying that all of this is wrong. And this is the the brief. You know, they do a little if your time is short part, because the truth is they don't actually want you to read the fact check and think about the fact check. They want you to go in, look at this. If your time is short thing, take their word for it and then do no more work. Just assume that the experts are on it. The PolitiFact experts are handling everything. 
So don't you worry. Here's their explanation if your time is short. While it's true, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention are no longer officially scrutinizing asymptomatic breakthrough infections. The agency has not, quote, lowered the general cycle threshold for determining COVID-19 cases. Now, right there. They are already total bullshit, Okay. The agency absolutely did lower the standard for vaccinated people, the cycle threshold. No one is claiming that they lowered the general cycle threshold for determining cases. That's not the claim at all. PolitiFact is in this fact check admitting that what I just said was true. And then they are redirecting their fact check toward a straw man. The straw man is that the claim is that the general cycle threshold was lowered. No one's saying that. There is a specific cycle threshold they lowered, and that cycle threshold is the one that applies to vaccinated people. They're also saying that they're no longer officially scrutinizing asymptomatic breakthrough cases. And how would they? Most people who are asymptomatic are not getting tested at all. Likewise, most of the cases they're recording are not from people with symptoms. They're from people who enter the hospital for another reason. It has been this way the entire time. You go into the hospital and they will ask you whether or not you've been vaccinated. If you say no, they're going to give you a covid test. They're going to run it at the high cycle threshold. And if you are a false positive, even though you have no symptoms you can't spread the disease and the disease can't hurt you. They're still going to record the positive case. If you say, yes, I have been vaccinated. They're not going to test you. So, of course, they're not going to get your breakthrough case, especially not at the lower cycle threshold. Their fact check doesn't dispute any of the stuff that I just told you. It is amazing. That people don't understand this or intentionally try not to understand this. The CDC themselves admitted they were changing the testing standards and who they were going to test. It's no mystery why they're doing that. You can see the purpose playing out in real life. And so what's the upshot of this going to be? How are people in Los Angeles going to react? Now, I'm not in Los Angeles, so I can't give you the firsthand view, but I can tell you what it was like last year and what I expect from these people knowing them as well as I do. Okay. People who are unvaccinated are going to go to these stores and they can either put a mask on or they can choose not to. If they choose not to, they will probably be confronted and shamed and bullied. That is exactly what the public health officer in Los Angeles wants. Okay. They are not trying to save lives. There is no too late because nothing is going to happen. Got it. There's absolutely nothing that's going to happen. We know that for a fact from the real world, Florida got rid of all their mitigations and restrictions last September, Texas and many other States have been going without mask mandates, without masks for four months, five months. Nothing has happened. Why? Because nothing can happen. We know what this is by now. It is a disease that affects only older people with significant comorbidities. That's who it kills. Okay. The other COVID deaths that do not fit that demographic profile are rare and they are often caused by something other than COVID. If a 40 year old crashes in a car within four weeks and in some places, 60 days of a positive COVID test, that counts as a COVID death. That is not a death from COVID. It is a death with COVID. That's where they get the danger statistics for people that don't fit the actual demographic of people who COVID kills. So the first response is that all of these 
Los Angeles communists get to finally unleash their hate again in public, trying to shame people, trying to bully people into complying. And there is almost nothing they love more. So they can't wait to do that. And if confrontations arise out of that, well, that helps their narrative as well. They want to paint everyone who is not into complying with communism as a domestic terrorist, as a threat to the public health, as a threat to your grandmother. They are doing that to create division. They are doing that so people feel so shamed by the culture around them that they will go get vaccinated too and then hopefully begin to shame people themselves. A possible, but I think unfortunately less likely scenario is that the people could actually stand up for themselves and not comply and mass, and then they would just have to let these restrictions go. It should be lost on no one that we are right now slightly less than two months away from the Gavin Newsom recall election. They've announced that in a few weeks they're going to begin sending out mail-in ballots to absolutely everyone. They still have the drop boxes on the ground there. Those were never taken away. They still have all the same commie policies that they had last fall. And they will try to steal the election in the same way they stole it last fall. Hopefully, there are some preventative measures in place that will not allow that to happen. And Gavin will be tossed out on his commie ass. But they know that without cheating, there is no way Gavin can win. They are trying to prop up his campaign by generating hate for the other side. They're trying to make it seem like the people who want to recall Gavin are actually the ones that are making everything so bad in California. I am 100% certain that the commies in power in California have focus grouped this. They have poll tested it. They have figured out that this is their best bet. And that's why they're doing it. There is no public health advantage to this system because masks don't do anything and everyone knows it. This is nothing more than a political strategy and it is nothing more than a hate movement. There is no other advantage to putting masks back on for anyone. The advantage is for Gavin Newsom. The advantage is for the communist narrative. I hope if you're in California, you are being loud about this. All right. And I just want to take a little tangent here, if you'll indulge me, because, you know, over the last few weeks, it is easy to see that our side is winning bigly. Okay. We are proving election fraud to the entire country right now. If you can't be happy about that, I'm not sure what you can be happy about. But people are still getting frustrated. They're still like, this is never going to happen. It's taking too long. I can't keep doing this. Well, okay. Black pill. Join the commies. Go have the life you want with them. I guess. What else is there to say? Okay. And what I really want to address is people who are talking about how they're really in this battle, but they're still on Instagram. They're still on Twitter. They still get their Apple news notifications and they still participate in the mainstream narrative. All right. You are doing that to yourselves. If you're still doing that, I understand that general Flynn says not to leave the battlefield. I have a difference of opinion with him about what that battlefield is on those platforms. Or perhaps we don't have a difference of opinion and the difference is in how people are interpreting it. Okay. Being on the battlefield means being on the battlefield and battling. It doesn't mean staying on the battlefield so that you can still get attention and talk to people on Instagram. That's not the point. At least I certainly don't think that's the point he's making. The point is, if you're still on those platforms, you need to be pumping this information out. 
All right. It's not enough to just DM somebody when they put up some stupid commie post. The point is, you got to be pushing the information out there so that it gets in front of people's eyes. If there's an advantage to still being on the platforms, that's what the advantage is. The idea there is that these people who would not otherwise be exposed to the counter narrative are being exposed to the counter narrative by you. Okay, if you're not doing that, then you're not on the battlefield. You're just on Instagram. And to be clear, I think General Flynn is a brilliant man and he's a hero and he knows infinitely more than I do. All right. I'm not trying to say he's wrong. There's a good chance he knows a whole lot of shit. I don't know. And I'm wrong. But I don't think that when he makes that statement about staying on the battlefield, he's just talking about staying on the platform. All right. I'm 100 percent on board in every single imaginable way with his idea that this is an information war and that there are digital soldiers on a digital battlefield. I am 100 percent down with that, both metaphorically and in reality. Okay, But. Metaphorically, if this was a real battlefield where soldiers were fighting soldiers with bullets and tanks and missiles, then there is no benefit gained by having soldiers on the battlefield who aren't fighting. All right? You're not on the battlefield. You're just taking up space there. You're just hanging out. You're just living there. All right? If you're on Instagram and Twitter and you're not putting information in people's faces to knock down these narratives and help us collectively dispute all these false commie narratives, then you're not battling. Okay. So you're not on the battlefield. You're just staying on Instagram for attention or because you think it's going to get you work or because you like it, which is fine. Okay. Do whatever you want. I'm not trying to judge anybody. I'm not trying to insult anybody. I'm just trying to say, be honest about what you're doing. All right. If you're participating in the mainstream narrative and you're not trying to knock it down, then you're not on the battlefield. And if you're participating in the mainstream narrative and not trying to knock it down, then, of course, you're going to be upset. The mainstream narrative, this technology is set up specifically to skew your perception and mess you up mentally. Their goal is to take you out of the game. And if you're not fighting publicly, then you're not in the game in the first place. So they're really just abusing you and you're taking it. You are abusing yourself. Okay. And again, I'm not trying to go off on anybody. Like if you're on our team, I love you. Okay. But I want you to fight if you're going to stay on that battlefield. Because otherwise, you're just getting shot at and you're not shooting back. And yes, I am speaking metaphorically, okay? Our weapon is information. That's it. Their weapon is false information. Real information will always defeat false information as long as people are seeing the real information. If you're not on there putting out the information, then you're not doing it. Okay. You don't even have to be the one creating the content. Obviously it's good if you're researching it and making sure it's right. Kind of is your responsibility to do that. But otherwise the weapon is the information. And if you're not using the weapon, then you're just taking up space. And if you want to be on a battlefield and you're there for some other reason than fighting, well, at that point, I would just think that you're a masochist. And the thing is, I want you on the battlefield and I want you battling. But if you're not doing that, I don't want you to just be getting punished by communists all day. All right. Like if the battle is not your thing, that's all good. Find a different role for yourself. Even if it's just communicating in your private life and spreading truth that way, that's all good. But. In the meantime, 
if you keep yourself in that morass of tech that you know exists only to skew your perception, then you're getting shot at constantly and it's going to kill you. You're going to black pill. You're going to give up. And then you're going to try to make your way in that communist society. And you're going to regret it because you know the truth. You can't just walk back without giving away part of your soul. But let's switch subjects completely. This is from yesterday on foxnews.com. Lead investigator of eco-terrorist plot involving Biden nominee says she was the, quote, nastiest of the suspects. This is by Cameron Cawthorn. The lead Forest Service investigator of the eco-terrorist plot involving President Biden's Bureau of Land Management director nominee sent a letter to the Senate Energy and Natural Resources Committee Wednesday pushing back against Tracy Stone Manning's testimony. Michael Merkley, a retired criminal investigator for the USDA Forest Service with over 28 years of service, said he felt compelled to write the letter to the Senate committee because many of the reports he had seen about the tree spiking case linked to Stone Manning were, quote, inaccurate or incomplete, end quote, and misrepresented her as a, quote, bystander or a victim. Contrary to many stories in the news, Miss Stone Manning was not an innocent bystander, nor was she a victim in this case, Merkley wrote. And she most certainly was not a hero. Miss Stone Manning was not only a member of Earth First, but she played an active role in the Earth First hierarchy. Later in the letter, Merkley detailed his experience working with Stone Manning during the investigation, calling her the nastiest of the suspects. She was vulgar, antagonistic, and extremely anti-government. She was very uncooperative and refused to provide the hair, handwriting exemplars, and fingerprints as ordered by the federal grand jury, Merkley said. It was not until after we informed her that she would be arrested if she did not comply with the subpoena that she reluctantly provided those samples to me. However, she refused to answer any of my other questions. Merkley said he eventually learned later in the investigation that Stone Manning knew all along, quote, who had perpetrated the crimes in the Clearwater National Forest, end quote, and said she only came forward in 1993 to give up her co-conspirators in the tree spiking case, quote, after her attorney struck the immunity deal and not before she was caught, end quote. He continued, at no time did she come forward of her own volition, and she was never entirely forthcoming. Merkley concluded the letter by talking about his experience investigating Earth First and said it led him to retire early in 1997 because he started receiving death threats from the eco-terrorist organization and he was, quote, made aware that they had solicited a contract to kill me and harm my family, end quote. He said he is still, quote, concerned what the group could do to him and his family. Despite the letter from Merkley revealing Stone Manning lied to the Senate committee, the White House is still supporting her nomination. Tracy Stone Manning is a dedicated public servant who has years of experience and a proven track record of finding solutions and common ground when it comes to our public lands and waters, a White House official told Fox News in an email. She is exceptionally qualified to be the next director of the Bureau of Land Management. Senator John Barrasso, Republican from Wyoming, the ranking member of the Senate Energy and Natural Resources Committee, slammed Stone Manning in a statement to Fox News saying she, quote, lied to the committee. I am grateful to the lead investigator for providing the committee with all of the facts of the case, said Barrasso. Not only did Tracy Stone Manning collaborate with eco-terrorists, she also helped plan the tree spiking in Clearwater National Forest. She has been covering up these actions for decades, including on her sworn affidavit to the committee. This new information confirms that Tracy Stone Manning lied to the committee that she was never a target of an investigation. The nominee has no business leading the Bureau of Land Management. President Biden must withdraw her nomination, and if he does not, the Senate must vote it down. Barrasso is one of several Republican senators sounding the alarm about Stone Manning. Every Republican on the Senate Energy Committee signed a letter Wednesday calling for Biden to pull Stone Manning's nomination, and we will see if that happens. I don't have much faith in the Biden administration actually doing that. Now, the reason I'm talking about this, obviously it's important, but beyond that, let's think about the Democrat Communist Party's history with domestic terrorists, all right? And I specifically want to focus, of course, on Susan Rosenberg, who is part of the May 19th Communist Organization who bombed the U.S. Capitol. She was imprisoned until Bill Clinton pardoned her 
on his last day in office. She went on to serve on the executive board of Thousand Currents, who is Black Lives Matter's fiscal sponsor. Okay, that's the organization above the Black Lives Matter organization that allows them to hide their donations and their expenditures and avoid taxes. And isn't it amazing that while the Democrat Communist Party is out there calling normal patriotic Americans domestic terrorists for supporting the big lie, which just happens to be 100 percent true. They are pushing actual domestic terrorists up within their organizations. It is clear that they support the causes, if not the actual actions of these domestic terrorists. They don't care whether underground, right? Bill Ayers, that's Barack Obama's guy. Susan Rosenberg on the board of Black Lives Matter's fiscal sponsor. Tracy Stone Manning is being nominated to lead an agency. Does it seem like the Democrat Communist Party is against domestic terrorism in any way? No, of course they're not. They actually revere these people. And if you consider the Democrat Communist Party to be a legitimate criminal organization, which they most definitely are, Consider them like uh, a gang or the mafia, right? If you go and do the killing they need you to do, or if you take the fall for some crime, you go serve your time, you get taken care of after you're released. And that's exactly what we see happening. Domestic terrorists in the United States are being promoted to prominent positions by the Democrat Communist Party. What else can you say about it? What is the other option? Oh, these people paid their debt to society and now they're very valuable members of the community and they deserve these positions within government or quasi-governmental organizations? No. How in the world would anyone accept this nonsense? And let's take just one more look at Joe Biden's political mentor, Robert Byrd the former Grand Kleagle and Exalted Cyclops in the Ku Klux Klan. I did a little digging on him a couple of nights ago, and I posted a link to an article in the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, and I was going to refer to it right now, but the link seems to be dead. I go to the link, and it says the resource you are looking for has been removed, had its name, name changed, or is temporarily unavailable. Now, maybe that's not connected, Maybe they did just move it or change its name. Or maybe there was a rush of traffic to this old article and they realized, hey, maybe it's not that great to have this article on the Internet anymore. We might look kind of bad, you know. Thank goodness I screenshotted the entire thing and it is there in the info stream from a couple nights ago. The article is from July 6th, 2010. The headline is Bird's racist past should not be downplayed. The late senator's anti-black views were deep and long-lasting, not simply a youthful indiscretion. And the article is by a man named Michael Edward Braxton, who was a fundraiser for Carnegie Mellon University and then the same role for the Pittsburgh Opera. And it's called director of development, but that basically means you're raising money for the organization. So this is the article. As many Americans and West Virginians in particular, remember the life and work of the late Senator Robert C. Byrd. We should not diminish how severely that legacy is tarnished by the bigotry and racism he avowed for much of his public and private life. As an African-American who has ancestors from what is now West Virginia, I am struck by how so many in the media and the public are willing to discount his history of bigotry as merely a youthful indiscretion that should be overlooked in light of his historic Senate career. Despite his relatively late life dissociation from these beliefs, any accurate memory of the man cannot diminish the fact that Robert Byrd was not just a racist, but a leader among racists. 
He was an active member and officer of the Ku Klux Klan, one of the most viciously violent and terroristic hate groups America has known. And even after he was no longer a formal member of the organization, he continued to act as an advisor to Grand Imperial Wizard Samuel Green regarding whom to appoint to Klan leadership. By the mid-1940s, Mr. Byrd had resigned as Klegel and Exalted Cyclops, or recruiter for the KKK, according to his book, Child of the Appalachian Coal Fields. However, in an April 8, 1946 letter to Mr. Green, Mr. Byrd wrote, The Klan is needed today as never before, and I am anxious to see its rebirth here in West Virginia and in every state in the Union. Later in his life, as reported by Newsmax.com, Mr. Byrd speciously attempted to explain away his close involvement in the Klan as part of his anti-communist sentiment. However, his membership predated America's communist phobia. At the time, Mr. Byrd was most visibly active in the Klan. The United States and the Soviet Union were allies at war with the Nazis. Most Americans did not yet view communism as a threat to our way of life. One questions whether Mr. Byrd actually thought the Klan was a tool to fight the spread of communism, but instead the means to strengthen white supremacy, a deeply held belief that he apparently thought the law should enforce. Immediately after his years in the Klan, Mr. Byrd's behavior was consistent with his racist philosophy. He used his power in the Senate to oppose President Harry Truman's integration of U.S. armed forces, and in 1944 wrote in a letter to fellow segregationist Senator Theodore Bilbo of Mississippi that he would, quote, never submit to fight beneath that banner with a Negro by my side. Rather, I should die a thousand times and see old glory trampled in the dirt, never to rise again than to see this beloved land of ours become degraded by race mongrels, a throwback to the blackest specimen from the wilds. That is Robert Byrd, Joe Biden's mentor, saying that. Mr. Byrd was an opponent of all civil rights legislation in this country, joining with segregationists to filibuster the Civil Rights Act of 1964. He also opposed the nomination of Thurgood Marshall to the Supreme Court and, as recently as the 1980s, continued to oppose the nomination of African-Americans to prominent office, including Clarence Thomas to the Supreme Court, Janice Rogers Brown to the United States Court of Appeals for the District of Columbia, and Condoleezza Rice as Secretary of State. As late as 2001, in an interview on Fox News Sunday, he felt comfortable using the N-word, stating that he has learned that the repulsive racial epithet could include certain white people as well. As he should have, Mr. Byrd apologized for the bigotry he learned and nurtured through most of his life and sought to make amends to African-Americans despite blacks comprising less than 4% of his mostly white West Virginian constituency. He used his power to direct Taxpayer largesse to what, notwithstanding his patronage, continues to be one of the poorest states in the union. Mr. Byrd did endorse Barack Obama in the 2008 presidential election, although Mr. Obama did not win the state. And one cannot miss the historic irony of the nation's first African-American president eulogizing the late senator last week. Nevertheless, Mr. Byrd's racist past remains part of his legacy. A portrait of the life of the senator must be complete, including its more despicable aspects, which sully a large portion of the picture of a man who otherwise would be a great American. A balanced view of Mr. Byrd is important. Voices decrying the beliefs he held for most of his life must be heard amidst the praise of the late senator. If for no other reason than the fact that the KKK racism and hate crimes still infect Mr. Byrd's home state and the rest of America, despite our society's advances in race relations and equality, the willingness to sweep Mr. Byrd's bigoted past under the rug to so quickly accept his plea for forgiveness and canonize his leadership in the Senate may stem in part from many Americans desires to believe that bigotry and racism are ancient and defunct, merely a distant and irrelevant memory. Unfortunately, racism, our nation's original sin, continues to remind those of us who can never forget that my friends is Robert Byrd. That my friends is Joe Biden's mentor. And that my friends is what a memory holding looks like in action. I posted that link two nights ago. People went and visited and read the article. Now the link is dead. And I just confirmed it with a bunch of people from the Telegram chat. The link is dead. That's crazy. 
That's how much they don't want you to know these things. That is Joe Biden's mentor. He was still a malignant racist in the 2000s. Joe Biden had already worked with him for over 25 years at the time he was still using the N-word and thought it was okay and normal. That's Joe Biden's mentor. And by the way, Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, I am coming for your ass now. That is crazy. That's crazy. Just absolute memory hole to protect Joe Biden. They should be ashamed of themselves. But let's remember the overall point here. And that's that Democrats have absolutely no problem with domestic terrorists. They are more than happy to associate with them. Don't ever forget that while they are calling innocent, patriotic, loyal, knowledgeable Americans who have the courage to speak out. They're calling them domestic terrorists because they are the ones that have the power to destroy this narrative. And speaking of that narrative, let's check in with Jen Psaki. This is a big issue of misinformation, specifically on the pandemic. In terms of actions, Alex, that uh, we have taken or we're working to take, I should say, from the federal government, uh, we've increased uh, disinformation research and tracking uh, within the Surgeon General's office. We're flagging problematic posts for Facebook uh, that spread disinformation. We're working with doctors and medical professionals to connect uh, to connected medical experts with popular with popular who are popular with their audiences with uh, with accurate information and boost trusted content. So we're helping get trusted content out there. Jen Psaki just admitted that. The federal government is working to censor the free political speech of American citizens by colluding with the tech companies. She just admitted that that's literally what Trump's class action lawsuits are about. This is just brazen authoritarianism at this point, and they're hoping that people won't notice. And of course, you know, she's talking to the White House press corps. So I guess she assumed that she wouldn't be pressed on it. But Peter Ducey actually showed up and did his job today. I mean, I'm not trying to come down on Peter Ducey. He's clearly the best of a bad lot. I wish he went much, much harder than he goes, but better than nothing, I suppose. For how long has the administration been spying on people's Facebook profiles looking for vaccine misinformation? Well, that was quite a loaded and inaccurate question, um, which I would refute. Well, Peter, first of all, as you know, we're in, we're in a regular touch with with a range of media outlets. At, as as let me finish. As we are as we are in regular touch with social media platforms, this is publicly. Uh, open information, people sharing information online, just as you are all reporting information on your news stations. But, okay, so these 12 people who you have on a list, 12 individuals, do they know that somebody at the Surgeon General's office is going through their profile? I'm happy to get you the citation of where that comes from. There's no secret list. I will tell you that these are people who are sharing information on public platforms on Facebook, information that is traveling is inaccurate. Our biggest concern here, and I frankly think it should be your biggest concern, is the number of people who are dying around the country because they're getting misinformation that is leading them to not take a vaccine. Young people, old people, kids, children, this is all being, a lot of them are being impacted by misinformation. The big concern, though, I think for a lot of people on Facebook is that now this is Big Brother watching you. They're more concerned about that than people dying across the country because of a, a pandemic where misinformation is traveling on social media platforms. That feels unlikely to me. If you have the data to back that up, I'm happy okay. to discuss and it. About things that are on Facebook, I looked this morning. Uh, there are videos of Dr. Fauci from 2020 before anybody had a vaccine, and he is out there saying there's no reason to be walking around with a mask. So is the administration going to contact Facebook and ask them to take that down? 
Well, first, I think what Dr. Fauci has said himself, who's been quite public out there, is that science evolves, information evolves, and we make that available in a public way to the American people. Exactly. I, I, I have never seen any data to suggest that, uh, that the vaccines cause infertility. That is information that is irresponsible. Okay, I think. Okay, about the science, about the science evolving. Facebook used to post. I used to block people from posting that COVID may have originated for a lab. That is something this president now admits is a possibility. So, is there any concern that the things you are trying to? block or have taken down might someday turn out to be we don't take anything down we don't block anything facebook and any private sector company makes decisions about what information should be on their platform our point is that there is information that is leading to people not taking the vaccine and people are dying as a result and we have a responsibility as a public health matter to raise that issue the responsibility we all have the government media platforms public messengers to give accurate information. What else could I even possibly say about that? Jen Psaki is admitting that the government is censoring people because they have determined that for everyone's best interest, people shouldn't be allowed to share information that doesn't come from trusted sources or people who are popular on the platforms with big followings. What in the world does popularity have to do with whether or not they're right? And then she tried to twist it and say that Peter Ducey, for even asking this question, has bad priorities and his priorities will allow people to be killed. She is claiming that people who are sharing information that the administration doesn't like and can, in some convoluted way, say is misinformation. People sharing that are killing people because they're creating vaccine hesitancy. And everybody knows that if you're not taking the vaccine, you're killing people. That's what she's saying. Orwell didn't go hard enough. And that should be shocking to everyone. I'll be back on Monday at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Maston lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic. And Joe Biden will never be president. Goodbye. Whether you're a total newbie to podcasting or even if you've had a show before like me, you know how intimidating it can be to start your show. The tech side especially can be daunting. That's why I'm so grateful Anchor exists. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. They knock down all the barriers to entry. Let me explain. First off, it's free. I don't know how or why, but I'm happy about it. The platform's great. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. I can't even begin to describe how much easier it was to get my show on all the major platforms this time than it was a few years ago. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. That's right. You build your show, you make money. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place, and the company is committed to the success of its content creators. Go download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Thanks for listening. Please follow the podcast on Instagram and Parlor at I'm Your Moderator. Soon I'll be up on Rumble with a video aspect. In the meantime, if you'd like to support the show, I have a Substack, I'm Your Moderator.substack.com, where you can donate, or you can donate at anchor.fm by searching Be Reasonable with your moderator, Chris Paul. I hope to see you soon. Back out on the rain. Backing as moderator for tonight's broadcast. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that 
by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm your moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm your moderator.substack.com. The merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!